Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. to 1 Corinthians 13. We've been working through a series which we've called Redeeming Relationships. And um, it's something I felt uh, led in God, obviously, to do. And um, it's starting to pay really good fruit amongst us. We're just camping on it for a while. Um, So this morning, I will want to touch on, just go over a few things that we've talked about. And then I want to talk about some of the attributes of love, in particular how love adds value to people's lives and how we're to walk in that sort of love. But I thought we'd just read together, I'll read for you on your behalf, 1 Corinthians 13, we're taking this as a a base scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. I want you to say that with me. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Let's say it together. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, or I will be... And I'll know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide. These three, the greatest of these things, uh, love. Some time ago, we had had, uh, friends of ours visit just a a few months ago, really. And they're uh, friends that we've known for approaching um, 30 years, over 30 years. Yeah, Francis and Leanne. And uh, they came and stayed with us for a week. And um, we were catching up on old times and catching up on old friends. And we had um, mutual friends uh, who um, went through a um, went through a divorce, a horrible divorce. And uh, we had kind of lost touch with those uh, people over the years and, and had lost touch with them at the time which they were going through that. So we um, we'd asked Francis Leanne, you know, what, 
what what happened you know where are these guys where where, where are they at and what happened and they recounted to us we were all very dear friends we had been members of the home home group home, home sort of fellowship fellowship very closely together and they they told us how um the husband had um well, they had got into financial straits through some unwise decisions and um and it, the husband had become very intense in and they both had in getting their dream back of you know getting a family home all those sorts of things and so he took on some business dealings that weren't didn't go well and he was working from dawn to dusk and all that and she was left um they'd started to build a house and uh, out in out in the boondocks and she was left with a couple of young kids in a caravan um really out with no one to talk to and obviously you know they say one of the biggest causes of breakdown of marriages or biggest triggers is financial things and I think really what it does is it actually takes your eyes off each other eyes off the Lord puts in stress arguments start all those sorts of things um, she um, started to uh, took a second job and she met someone in that second job who you know showed her um, a lot of the attention that she wasn't getting and you know we don't know how that developed but he he heard uh, through another friend that she'd had this close friendship develop and and uh, when they confronted each other or talked to each other and talked it through about it she asked him do we want to make a go of this marriage and he had been had gone through so many years of I don't think they actually went bankrupt virtual bankruptcy losing the house disillusioned with church disillusioned with life and I think really just the shame and the embarrassment and wanting to draw a line under that life he said no I, I don't want to do anymore and they and they left and they broke up and um, who knows there's there's normally no winners in that sort of situation um, but it really did uh, confront me to ask how those sorts of things happen how they come how they evolve how they develop and uh, last week we talked about um, this idea of falling out of love uh, which the world would say that you know you just wake up one morning and I've fallen out of love and yet the Bible never says that we can fall out of love not in the sense that that life goes on and all of a sudden you just wake up and you no longer love this person um, and you'd think God would let us know. You know, if, if you're in danger of just falling out of love, it's like, you, it's like you're walking along the street and someone's put a, a canvas over a hole in the path and all of a sudden, boom, you've just fallen, you know, you've fallen off the path. But the Bible does say, Jesus said in the end times that people's love will wax cold or wane cold, it will be, become cool because of their focuses on worldly things, because of the, the worldliness around them. And then in Revelations, he said to the church uh, in Ephesus that your love, that you have left your first love by not doing the things which got you in love in the first place. And so we talked about that last week. And we've also talked about uh, how it, uh, the love shaped whole, how it is a basic need of everyone to know, to love, and to be loved. And really, it is, a, a, it is a primary need. 
And you can have someone, I mean, if you go hungry, if you don't have food, you don't have shelter, you can die in a matter of weeks, die in a matter of days if it's water. But you can have all the food and shelter that you like, that you need, and you can still die by lack of love. And uh, die from a broken heart. And uh, there is a thing called the failure to thrive syndrome with babies, where in orphanages, where they're getting food, they're getting shelter, they're getting their diapers changed, they're warm, and yet they just die. And in some orphanages, uh, historically, there's been as much as one-third of the babies have died. They've got medical attention, they've got food, they've got water. Because, and, and they found what happened is that when they assigned a nurse or whatever, or a couple of nurses to that baby, and they took time to, to hold and cuddle and give it attention, they thrived. When they didn't have that, they died. And we've all been uh, created with the need to be loved and the need to love. And what happens... Uh, you know, when, when that need, we don't feel, we don't sense that need, then we try and shove that into that hole, all sorts of other things. And so, you know, the psychologists tell us that, you know, uh, girls that haven't felt love by their father tend to be more promiscuous. Guys that haven't felt love tend to be more caught up into things like controlling things like pornography. People who haven't felt loved and haven't established good relationships are more caught up uh, in drugs. In fact, a lot of experts now think that any addiction and all addictions come down to uh, unable to, to give and maintain loving relationships. So we all have this basic need to love and to be loved. Uh, what happens, of course, though, is that as we uh, have grown up and we've grown up with imperfect families and we've grown up with imperfect friends, very often we've felt that love uh, in a, a worldly kind of way, not in the unconditional love that, that, uh, that God has for us. So we've become hurt and we've learned to, to deal with people out of our hurts. And, and very often things that happen to us now, without even us knowing, trigger things that happened decades ago and we don't even recognize it and they know this because they know that they put those little things on people's heads you know you know where they sort of shave a bit of hair away and they, they would need to do that with me or some of us but but they put them on and and they they put a picture in front of people and they see where their brain goes to think about those sorts of things you know and, and the brain, it goes in and it, it looks at it and then it jumps over to emotional memories and, and it, it filters through their past experiences to interpret what it's seen happening. Which is why I don't know if you've ever said something and it's been misunderstood or you've heard something and misunderstood it because very, we always filter through what we hear and what we see. Which is why then we led on and we just started to talk about forgiveness and what forgiveness means. And how if we don't release people who have hurt us or offended us, then we will always feel that they owe us something. And we'll always carry that hurt with us. I find it interesting, and um, that verse we read, 2 Corinthians 5, that it, it, it says that God was in Christ Jesus... 
uh, redeeming the world. And then it says, not holding their sins against them. All right? That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is when someone has hurt you and you make a conscious decision for whatever reason to not hold their sins against them. I tend to figure if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. Now, he's probably somewhat more emotionally secure than me. (laughs) All right, more secure in his identity. But he's able to forgive but not holding their sins against them. But then I find it interesting that it goes on to say, and so we plead with you, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5. So you notice that difference. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God was in Christ Jesus, redeeming the world to himself, forgiving their sins, not holding their sins against him. And so, because of that, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. So the process of reconciliation then must be different to the process of forgiveness. Can you see that? All right? So I I said that because... um, very often, people feel they have, to be, they have to stay in relationships which are hurtful and negative and become really victims in those relationships. And no, the Bible says, women, if he chooses not to live well with you, and there's different ways, that's a whole other series, then, then you don't have to. All right? You don't have to put yourself in an abusive situation and stay in that abusive situation. Okay? And if someone's hurt you, and hurt you, especially physically, but also emotionally and that, then, then you, the, praise God, we can, by knowing the love of God, knowing forgiveness, we can forgive them. But that doesn't mean that we have to play victim and let them keep hitting us. Do you understand? All right? So you might have been hit by a truck, but that doesn't mean you're going to walk in front of a truck again. All right? So it is important to recognize that difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. In that part of the process of reconciliation with God, Jesus, you know, the Bible says, repent and be saved. Okay? So how can someone be reconciled if, if they keep hurting you or you keep hurting them and that's not even identified? You understand? So a process of, re- of reconciliation is different to the process of forgiveness. But forgiveness is really for us. It takes the burden off us. Okay? And being able to do that is, is to be... A, a part of that is to understand where people are coming from, understanding grace, understanding what's, what's happened to them and, and not putting us in a position where we consider ourselves better than them and all that sort of stuff. So I said that to move to the next step, which is uh, we're going to start talking about what love is actually. That's a horrible movie, Love Actually, but it sort of rings. What love is actually. Okay? So um, we've talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to um, um, turn with me, please. We'll turn to uh, John 13, verse 34. And we've already looked at this verse already, but we'll touch it again. John 13, 
Uh, verse uh, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, yet you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So Jesus says this, he says that you love one another, even as I have loved you. That way you are to love one another and he says by this people will know that 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 you are my disciples evidently there was the way that jesus was loving his disciples that the world doesn't necessarily love and and it's this love this love of god which is the love which is supposed to indwell us the bible says the love of god is shed abroad in our heart and that we are to learn to learn to know what that love is and learn to give that love and evidently it's different to what the world sees because, because if our love was just like everyone else, then we wouldn't stand out. And Jesus' love was plainly different. And this love of God as described in 1, 13 is, in 1 Corinthians 13 is a different kind of love. The God kind of love uh, loves people because of their inherent value before God. Because people have an inherent worth. Um, because they're made in the image of God. And, and the, the love of God is released in an unconditional way. It's given to people no matter whether they can give it back or not. All right? Uh, the love that the world has, the love, the natural kind of love, basically loves people for how they make them feel. And so when a person stops making you feel good, you think, I've fallen out of love. Uh, you know, we can say we love our car. We love our car because uh, it drives well, it's economical, looks good, makes us look good. We love our car. We stop loving our car when the engine blows. I don't love my car anymore. All right? So the, the world kind of love uh, um, uh, gives, uh, gives us, it makes our... Our, us feel good it, it builds up that hole which is w within us to to for people to look at us and and to feel attractive and to, to feel good and to feel popular and so we we love those people because of, of that all right but it's a fool's love it's a fool's gold uh, years ago uh, my dad used to take us camping we used to go camping uh, in the blue mountains and we'd park the car at the top of one of the, uh, one of the cliffs and we'd walk down and we'd camp down by the creeks. And uh, a long time ago, there was a gold rush in, in the Blue Mountains. So I thought it would be good to sort of, you know, get some sand and the gravel at the bottom of the creek and start, start shaking some sand. And, and I did that one of the camping trips and, was, and there was all these little gold flecks in there. And, uh, and so I was picking them out like this and I ended up with like, you know, 10, 12 little gold flecks. And I took them to Dad. And I said, look, Dad, I found some gold. And he said, sorry, son, that's fool's gold. And it was. It's a type of, I think it's a sulfur-based thing that looks a lot like gold. And what happens with us is we have this need for love. So we're, we're looking for things that could fill that hole with how we've learned love. Okay? But God's love gives value no matter whether that person is returning it or whether that person is, is, uh, is able to give love or make us feel good. 
an interesting place. Uh, so we know that Jesus said that Jesus was asked, uh, what, what, are the, what are the main commandments of the law? He said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and strength. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In this, in this all the commandments are fulfilled. And then another time in, in John 13, he said, I give this new commandment to you. You're not only to love your neighbors as yourself, you're to love your neighbors as I have loved you. Well, I went back and I looked at Leviticus 19. So let's turn back to Leviticus 19 because this is the law and this is how God says what it looks like when we love our neighbors as ourselves. So under the law, this, this was what love looks like. And it's really interesting when you start digging deep. So Leviticus 19, everyone got that? That's page 124. Okay, it's not getting any laughs anymore, that one. Might have to change that one. <laughs> Um, and some of them, some of them says, uh, some, some headlines say at verse 9, uh, the law of love, uh, loving a neighbor, this is sundry laws. It actually, what happens is that he goes through, God goes through describing what, love, what loving your neighbor looks like, and then he says, and you're, so you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So let's have a look at some of these things. Verse 9. So now when you reap the harvest of the land... You shall not reap to, every, to the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit from your vineyard. You will leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Everyone say, I am the Lord your God. Okay. He's told them. He says, I'm telling you. That's like, I'm telling you now, I know. They said, you do your harvest, like some of it, when you thresh your wheat, there's bits left, you know, don't go through them. Leave a bit on the edge. Grapes fall, leave them. And he says, I'm the Lord your God. Hmm. Nor shall you steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You shall not steal or deal falsely. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind. You'll revere, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor to fall to the great, but you are to judge your neighbour fairly. You shall go about as you shall not go about as a slanderer amongst your people. You are not to act against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You shall you may reprove your neighbour, but should not incur sin against them. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord your God. Well, the first thing that I noticed about that that really stood out to me is reading it, is that every verse or every second verse he says, for I am the Lord your God. I'm sitting there thinking about it, what's that got to do with it? You know, why is it so... He's, he's, lying out, he's laying out there, 
how we're supposed to treat our neighbour. And he keeps saying, and I'm the Lord your God. And I remembered in Matthew where Jesus talks about um, the king. He calls his servants in and he says to them, what you did to the least of these people, you did to me. And some of them said, well, well, you know, he, in fact, he says to, he says to them that, that you fed me, you clothed me. And, that, and they said, well, when did you see you needing food? When did, you, when did we see you needing clothing? And he said, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And it started to make this sense to me because I remember like some things have happened and those of us that are parents or some things have happened to some of our kids. You know, some of our kids have been, been snubbed or something or, you know, maybe not picked for the representative of the team. And who knows when you're a parent, you get up here, what are you talking about? My kid's not good enough. What are you talking about? Didn't you see all the tries they scored? Didn't you see that? You know? Or, uh, you know, one of our kids was snubbed. You know, they don't get invited to the to the party well they get snuffed for this and all of a sudden these parents are up here like this going why did you do this and the affront is against the parent because the parent loves the kid and the parent has empathy of how the kid feels now we were blessed because our son got picked in almost every representative team there was to but but I can remember some parents getting so indignant and I'm thinking your kid doesn't know how to play football your kid hasn't got the first idea how to do it he's got no idea you know but they're going to go what do you mean my kids like you know and they're ranting and carrying on like that sticking up for the kid they take it personally all right I can remember with my boy sometimes he's invited people to do things and the people have snubbed him and, and we're thinking well that's that we're going to snub that family now aren't we <laughs> you know we're not going to invite them to the party they cross them off the christmas card list remember when you used to send christmas cards yeah you're laughing because you never did but <laughs> yeah all right you cross them off the christmas card list you know and and you know, and so I, I began to realize that god loves these people and love loves people regardless of how pretty or beautiful. They're his children. And so in the law here, he's saying, you've got to realize, guys, that they're my people. They're my children. I love them. And when you treat them like that, you're treating me like that. Hello? Hello? Now that's, on one hand... That's beautiful, because you know that God feels it when you're being mistreated. He feels it. He feels it when we're mistreated, because we're his kids. But it also means that the ugliest, meanest, worst-smelling, whatever person out there is also a child of God, and these are the ones whom God's identifying in Leviticus that they would think are pariahs. Now, what about that? The verse, there's a verse in there. I, don't know, I was thinking about that. There's a verse in there that says that if they are deaf, don't curse them. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, this person can't hear them curse. 
you can't, you know, it's like, and, and you know, you've all seen skits like that where, you know, the person's saying something and, and the other person thinks they heard something different and then they re-say what they've said to make it sound like it. You know, there's two Ronnie's, two Ronnie's kits and one of them's pretending to be a Chinese and he goes, he goes, I Chinese, I Chinese. And the other one, he goes, what, what do you mean you're Chinese? He says, no, I got Chinese, you know. And you're thinking, well, you know, like, like this person's deaf, how are they going to affect? And God's saying, no, it's not just whether they, they know that you're being mean to them behind their back. I know you're being mean to them behind their And they're my child. Which is beautiful in one sense, because if someone's being mean to you behind your back, God knows. Uh-huh. <laughs> he knows, and he cares. Like when you hear someone talking bad about your kid or your mum, your mum, your mama, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, God knows. It's seen. God takes it personally when we don't walk in love and we're not being loved. God takes it personally. And he says, do not put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Now, in this day and age, you know, especially having such a strong Judeo-Christian heritage in Western society, we would think that would be obvious. But apparently it wasn't obvious. And the historians actually tell us that, that, that people who were poor, people that had, had, uh, were down and out, people that were sick, they had, they had no esteem, they had no value in society. And God comes out with this revolutionary concept that even if they can't see you or can't hear you, you're still not to speak against them. Because they have, everyone has a dignity before God which is inherent because God loves him. And you know what? That irates self-righteous people. It really irates them. Doesn't it irate the world to think that God could forget Hitler? Who's it irating you a little bit now? <laughs> God could forgive Hitler. Not only with God could forgive Hitler, God did forgive Hitler. He was in Christ Jesus, forgiven Hitler. And you know what it's like, parents, one kid's fighting against another. You love them both. So God takes it personally. I find it interesting um, that uh, the scripture you, uh, you read this morning about, uh, Chloe, about um, giving. Uh, you ever wondered, like, there's that scripture where Jesus is sitting watching that widow putting her mites in. All right, putting the little one cent pieces in the box. He's sitting there watching them. But then on the other hand, he says, when you give to the poor, he said, don't even let the right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now, isn't that interesting? He says, on one hand, he says, when you're giving, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And the other hand, he says, uh, when you're when you, sitting there watching this widow put the mite in the church offering, and then he points her out to everyone. And he says, actually says that she gave more than the Pharisees and the rich guys. She gave more than them. How's that work? And the difference is, it's people. Because God 
respects and honors and loves people who are poor. And, and he knows that, that people who are making a big deal of giving to the poor, all right, they're going to look at me, you know. I'm putting $2 gold coin for the farmers at Coles. They're going to look, look, cling. I might put in 50 cent pieces, it sounds more as it goes in. Cling, 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 cling. They won't know that it was actually $2. <laughs> you know? And he says, no, when you give to the poor, don't put down the poor people. Don't make them feel like they're, they're not valued. Don't make them feel like you're better than them. Do it in a way that they don't even know who's given it to them. He said, your father in heaven sees. And he said, but if you do it in a way which, which gives you praise, which builds you, well, that's not love. And he said, you've already got your reward. It's starting to make sense. God values people. God takes love personally. He takes it personal when we're not feeling loved. He feels it for us. And Leviticus and Jesus said in Matthew, he said, you do it to the least of them, you do it unto me. That means when, when you're getting loved, that he's feeling that love with you. And, and when you're hurt, he's feeling that hurt with you. He says to you, when you, when you uh, reap your harvest. And, and look at all those laws. Those laws uh, in, in Leviticus 19, they're about valuing these people. They're about valuing the least. They're about valuing the downtrodden. They're about valuing the hurt. They're about doing, doing to them because they're God's creation. They're God's people. And God knows people are beautiful. Even the ones that are hurting are beautiful. And he sees them as beautiful. And the good news of that is that he sees us as beautiful. No matter how ugly we are. He says when you, uh, verse uh, 9 in there I think it is, when he says when you, um, when you create your harvest, he says leave, leave the, the little bit on the side. Leave every little bit. Go around with your combine harvest. So, well, you know, they didn't have combine harvests because they had guys there with their, with their uh, sickles that were going bang, bang, bang. So it would have been very easy for them just to get that last little bit like that, wouldn't it? But he says, no, no leave that little hedgerow around there and, and just go on. And then when you refresh the little bits that have fallen on the ground, just leave them. He said, and when you're picking your grapes, some fall down, don't pick them up. Now, Surely it would have just been easier, really, just to um, harvest it than just give some to the poor, wouldn't it? In fact, they, they still did give to the poor. And I think, well, why didn't they just say, just give, you know, 5% to the poor or something like that? And I was thinking, you know, there, there's this... God cares for us so deeply that he knows that that if someone comes to your door and says, oh, look, here's enough for a loaf of bread, God bless you. Well, you know, that's good, you're hungry, but, but where's the value in that for you? Where, where's the thought that I, I can get out of this situation, that I can contribute to this community? And so God designed the harvest so that those that were in a poor situation, they can actually 
contribute. They can say, well, you know, I can actually work. I can actually set my hand to something and produce something good. So even with charity, when we give charity, he said, don't give it in a way that belittles people. Give it in a way that builds people. And God takes that love personally. In Ruth, in Ruth uh, chapter 2, we probably know the story of Ruth, Naomi, and, and Boaz. Okay? So Naomi uh, was the older lady, and she had married a foreigner, and they should go on to live in a foreign country. And her son had married one of the foreigners, and her name was uh, Ruth. And they fell upon hard times, and they came back to, to her hometown. And Naomi says to her mother, let me go out and, and get the gleanings. And this is a, a picture. She had a picture of God's love for us and his esteem, esteem and his value for us. And uh, so, Naomi, uh, so Ruth goes out in the field and she starts to pick up the, the gleanings and she starts to collect them to take, take back to Naomi. And Boaz comes out and looks at the field and he says to, the, he says to his workers, who's, who's, who's that lady gleaning our fields? And, she, and he says to her, that's, that's Ruth, the daughter of Naomi. And um, it's, it's hard for us to uh, really get an understanding of, of what it's like. But this, this girl had no standing in that community at all. She was an a illegal immigrant. She had no right to be there. She was a Moabite. They were enemies. And yet the Moabites, God loves the Moabites. And, and so uh, Boaz is a, a picture of Jesus. And he went to his workers and he says, let her harvest in our, let her harvest in our field. Don't give her a hard time. He respected her dignity. He didn't call out her failures, didn't call out her sin. He respected her dignity. And then he went to, he went to her and he said to her, listen, don't go, stay with our women. Stay with our women. Don't go into the other fields and harvest there where you might get mistreated, but stay with us. So even the law, you know, even the law was designed to show us God's love and designed to show us how much he values it. And God takes love personal. And he takes us personal when we're hurt. And he feels it with us. He feels it for us. And he wants to pour out his love upon us. And part of redeeming relationships, guys, is someone's hurt you. You know, we're not to make them grovel to come back. We're to, we're to um, forgive them and we're to treat people regardless of, of whether they might make us look good and they make us feel good. We're to treat them with this unconditional love that we've been treated with. And nothing will restore a relationship quicker than that. Nothing will restore a relationship quicker than that. You know, because if people are feeling loved, who knows that repentance comes quicker when you're feeling loved? Who knows where 
that you, we know you've blown it and that that, piece, that person's still loving you, that you're so quick to apologise. But, but, you know, if they're angry at you, you're slow to apologise, aren't you? You're like, no, I'm going to stand my ground. Praise God. So um, let's know the love of God. Let's know that he feels when we're hurt and that regardless of how we've treated him or looked to him, he still treats us like he, with his love. And let's show that love to the world. Amen. All right. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.